Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Wednesday morning. Happy hump day. It is September the 15th, 2021, 702 on your Tucson morning, and we are live on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, as Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. I am so glad to be here with you for the next two hours as we have a, uh, a myriad of things to, to, uh, to talk on today in the world of sports. Of course, plenty of football still talking about week one of the NFL, and that will be a huge chunk of today's show as we will be talking a ton of NFL, including specifically the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get some observations, reactions, and we'll make some grades on what we saw from week one of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll be speaking with uh, Tyler Drake of AZ Sports. Of course, he is our Arizona Cardinals insider here on the Jeff Dean Show, and we'll bring him on at uh, 7.30 today, so in about 27 minutes we'll bring him on and uh, talk some Cardinal football. There was some interesting uh, – I, I have – of course I have. I, I mean, because I, I geek out on this kind of stuff. I have subscriptions to Pro Football Focus, and I love reading the, the Pro Football Focus grades. I do believe that uh, Pro Football Focus, for the most part, does a fantastic job of I – mean, I mean, they have a huge staff there. I think they have like 114 people on full-time staff there at, at PFF. Um, they do a phenomenal job of tracking every single play for every single player, grading them out, and uh, and I think uh, they just you know there's nobody in the business quite like them. Now, granted, there are certain times where you can watch a football game, and you, you, a guy that really stood out to you got a you know a bad grade, and then vice versa, a guy that you thought played a terrible game would have scored you know really high on PFF. Sometimes it can be a little baffling. And without watching the film and things like that, I think our perceptions can be a little bit off. But I do think there is quite a bit of merit to actually watching the football game, experiencing the game, and understanding what kind of an influence that specific player had on the game. So it's not the gospel. It's not the end-all, be-all. But it is certainly a very, very helpful tool when understanding what their what a player's responsibilities are and how they compare to other players at that position with those similar uh, responsibilities. So... Some, the Arizona Cardinals received some very interesting grades. Some of their players received some interesting grades after Week One in their blowout victory at Tennessee, and we'll talk with uh, we'll talk with Tyler Drake about that coming up in uh, about 25 minutes or so, and uh, talk some Cardinal football. We also have some other NFL to talk about. Uh, the I, I you know I mentioned uh, during the, the during the promos of the uh, you know the last 22 hours that I would be telling you. Uh, how the rookie quarterbacks graded out in in week one. I went and did kind of a a, a comprehensive dive, if you will, into pro football focus as well as some of the other things that that just, you know, looking over statistics and watching a lot of highlights. There have been a ton of highlight reels on the the rookie quarterbacks on all of the different sporting outlets and things like that. So watching through those and stuff, and you you can kind of gather how a rookie quarterback did, their impact in the game, how well they picked up the offense in the off season and prepared for week one. I will say this. So there was an interesting that this was the first time. So this was, I'm pretty sure this was the first time that three players, uh, three rookie quarterbacks have started week one since like night. I think, I think it's like 1989 or something like that. It's only the second time since the NFL merger, the NFL AFL merger 
that three rookie quarterbacks started week one. I think 88 or 89 or something like that was the other year. Um, I don't remember exactly which one, but I know it's only happened. This is only the second time it's ever happened, essentially in the history of the of the modern NFL. So, um, you know, un, unforeseen times here, and, and I think this is something that we're going to see uh, moving forward. This is going to be something we're seeing more often as players come in more prepared, specifically at the quarterback position from the collegiate level, not only because of the coaching that they're getting at the collegiate level, but because of all of the other coaching that they're getting. I mean, I know personally, I know three quarterback coaches, guys who played in the NFL that now make a living coaching quarterbacks, specifically quarterback camps and private institution and things that are private learning and teaching and stuff like that. So uh, it has a huge, a huge effect on how players are getting prepared at a much younger age, uh, you know, in this day and age in the NFL and football and for that matter. And, you know, there's a lot more film to study. There's a lot, uh, you know, with technology and such, they've been given the opportunity to have easier access to film study. There's a lot of books and websites and and things like that that have been written uh, and constructed on how to read defenses. I mean, there's tons of stuff out there. There's so much for you to consume. If you're willing and able to digest and comprehend all this kind of stuff, that's just things that are going to elevate your game. So these, you know, these young men are doing it at a younger age, and therefore they're coming into the NFL even that much more prepared. So I, I do think this is the beginning of a trend. I think we're going to start to see more rookie quarterbacks starting in the NFL moving forward. And granted, they're going to struggle. And, and when we talk about how the rookie quarterbacks did, you'll see just how badly they struggled, especially in comparison to the sophomore quarterbacks in the NFL this season so far as well. So we'll talk about that. But we're going to begin – with the, uh, the, the, the conversations I said, I guess, that were had yesterday on campus uh, over at the U of A with offensive coordinator Brendan Carroll and defensive coordinator Don Brown. The media met with uh, both of them to discuss Saturday's game um, and, you know, specifically, you know, Don Brown talking about the tackling and the defense and things like that. You know, it's one of those I, – I couldn't quite – Don Brown said I couldn't put my finger on it, I can't put my finger on it as to why they played so poorly – And I'm kind of the same way. I watched the game again yesterday. I did watch the game again yesterday. I was looking at, specifically looking at the defensive tackling techniques. And the things that I've been saying for the last two days, Monday and Tuesday, I said that watching from my perch in the PA deck five stories above the stadium, above the field, the tackling technique looked okay. It didn't look like there was poor tackling technique. I thought maybe some players were lunging a little bit, but it didn't look terrible. And watching the film kind of reiterated that. Like, I don't think the technique was all that bad. Again, there were some players that were lunging. It just was a situation where there were way too many one-on-one opportunities for the offense to make a move or to run through the tackle. Look, tackling in space is extremely difficult. There's a reason why there are guys in the Hall of Fame uh, you know, linebackers like Dick Butkus and Jack Lambert and, you know, Michael Singletary. And, I mean, there's, there's great players in the NFL, you know, in the, in the Hall of Fame. And one of the major reasons for that is because they were superior open field tacklers. Like, once they got their mitts on you, that was it. I remember watching Patrick Willis when he played middle linebacker for the 49ers in his nine spectacular seasons in the NFL, nine of the best seasons you'll ever see out of a middle linebacker. Patrick Willis, even when he had – a cast on his right hand. If he was able to get his left hand on you, you were not going anywhere. He was, he is 
by bar none, the best tackler I've ever seen on a football field ever in the history of my life, ever. Open field tackling is an extremely, extremely difficult thing to do. You have to, you have to have quickness. You have to have technique. You have to have strength. You have to have leverage. You have to have instinct. There are so many factors involved in making a successful open field tackle. So what defenses try to do is not put their players in that position to have to make open field tackles one-on-one because the offensive player has all of the advantage in that situation. San Diego State had so many opportunities in that instance in Saturday's game where they just simply blocked up Arizona's other guys so well that the guy that they left unblocked or a guy that they couldn't get to essentially was tasked with making the tackle, and he didn't. And it happened to a lot of different guys on Arizona's defense. It wasn't one guy that had a poor tackling technique. There were situations where there were defensive linemen that were in the middle of being blocked and just tried to stick their arm out, make contact with the runner, and that's considered a miss, essentially like a missed tackle. Okay, you had an opportunity to make the tackle. You didn't. They were able to run through it. That's why they have the drills. The running back have those drills where they run through the things. And we've all seen the, the video of, uh, I can't remember who it was, trying to run through it and gets knocked over. Funny stuff. If you've never had a football in your hands and run through one of those uh, like running back drill thing, or the, I can't remember what they call it. It's, it's the big matrix thing that you got to run through with all those heavy spring-loaded pads on them and stuff like that. Man, it's tough. Like I'm not kidding, you know. When I, you know, I'm 255 pounds when I was playing, and you know we would do it for fun after practice and stuff. And you go running through there, you fumble the ball. You have to have a lot of speed running through that thing, and you're where you're afraid you're going to get hit in the face or somewhere else. A lot more sensitive by those things because they're all over the place. They're all up and down that uh, that you know that matrix that framework that you got to run through. It's uh, it, you know, it's it's not easy just to run through, uh, just little arm tackles. But look, San Diego State was up to the task. I felt like San Diego State's blocking was better than Arizona's tackling. And in the game of football, it's very very basic sport, it's a very simple sport to 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 grasp. Essentially, football is about blocking and tackling. If you can block and tackle better than the other team, you're going to win. I mean, your 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 rate of success is 90% plus if you block and tackle better than the other team. That's what the game is about. It's very simple. It's blocking and tackling. San Diego State was simply better at Arizona at both of those on Saturday night. That's why we had the outcome we had. Arizona played up to the task in the second half. I, I, like, I noticed in the second half, now I thought that San Diego State had taken their foot off the gas on Saturday night when I was watching live. I think that was part of the the disappointment of what we were seeing on the on the you know on the field at the time we were live and you're like man this sucks you know you're getting blown out at home had all these expectations fans are here stuff and you you just kind of getting down and you're like man they took their foot off the gas i watched the game again they did not take their foot off the gas don brown said in his in his press conference yesterday he goes they left their starters in and he's right up until about midway through the fourth quarter when it was obviously over there's about six and a half minutes left i think they, they got the ball back Backup quarterback came in, backup, uh, you know, some other backups and things like that had gotten in the game. They put their wide receiver in at tailback. It just kind of, you know, gave some different looks and things like that and uh, trying out some different formations and whatnot, personnel groupings. They started to, you know, play a little bit. Brady Hoke was like, let's try this, try this out. Let's see what this looks like. Let's see what this looks like. But up until then, I mean, they left their starters in and they were playing 
full out. I thought Arizona rose to the occasion in the second half. Obviously they did. I mean, the, you look at the score, the score differential. The score in the second half was more indicative, the, the way the game was played in the second half was more indicative of how I thought the entire game was going to play. But, again, you know, in, in Arizona fashion, same Arizona fashion, and look, it's been the same under Stoops, under Rodriguez, under Sumlin, and now under Fish. The team is down 21 nothing at home before fans can get in the seats. It has happened countless times. I don't know how many times, more times than I care to remember. That's for damn sure. So this is, <laughs> we're used to it, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's, it's a, the struggles that we've gone through, you know, after, and I'll, I'll still say this, you know, one really, really bad coach can just absolutely damage a program for, for a, a considerable amount of time. And, we know what John Makovic did to this program. I mean, we it's it, it's 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 been a huge swell um, of negativity over this program for a long time. Mike Stoops did a great job of bouncing back. Finally, got this team to some bowl games. Rich Rodriguez elevated them to a Fiesta Bowl. You bring in Kevin Sumlin, everything goes in the tank again, and we have to rebuild. It's going to take time. And Jed Fish, uh, you know, he's he's on the right he's on the right path. We, you know, I remember. Back when, when Stoops had taken over and people were like, oh, he's never coached before. He was on, riding on the coattails of his brother, blah, 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 blah. And people were giving him a really hard time. He's 3-8 and eight in his first season. They're like, this is the wrong hire. I can't believe this guy was the number one candidate in the country. And then went 3-8 and eight again his second season. People were like, this is it. Fire the guy. It's not working. And then all of a sudden, bang, they're going to a bowl game. Bang, they're moving up. They're a ranked team. They're competing against the Oregons and the USC's in the, in the conference. So... Just it just takes time, folks. Just takes time. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and give away some tickets. Talking about U of A football, let's give away some tickets. Well, I'm not going to give away tickets. I'm going to give you away give away a chance to win tickets to this Saturday's game against NAU. We're going to do a text to win as we've been doing. Uh, we did all last week. We're going to do it all this week. You can win my season tickets to Saturday night's game by texting the word Gronk. That's right, Gronk, our favorite and most lovable tight end and. Uh, one of the most lovable uh, former Wildcat letter winners ever, G-R-O-N-K. Text that to 68683. Text Gronk to 68683 for your chance to win a pair of my tickets to this Saturday's game against NAU. We're going to give away two pair on Friday morning, and uh, good luck to you. Message and data rates may apply. But this is your little window here in the 7 o'clock hour before things get really busy, and we move on to the 8 o'clock hour. Text the word Gronk to 68683. Register yourself to win my tickets to Saturday night's game. You're listening to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Cardinals are hosting the Vikings this Sunday, and you can control this point spread. Yeah, on FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is moving the line one point in Arizona's favor for every 250 fans who bet the Cardinals to cover. It's all a part of FanDuel's spread the love promotion. Now, the more bets you get, the more better the spread. So there's no telling how high that this this uh, this point spread can go. And best of all, your odds are going to be whatever the point spread is at kickoff on Sunday. So you don't have to wait to get in on the action. Now, I'm going to wait to see just kind of how far this thing goes, but it's going to be interesting to see just how, uh, just how far it gets bet up by the FanDuel betters. Now, 
when you go to FanDuel, obviously the sports uh, the sports book app is so easy to use. They have great odds and daily boosts. There's uh, parlays. Uh, there's fast payouts. You get paid out within 24 hours. There's a, a myriad of reasons why America's number one sports book is FanDuel Sportsbook. And if you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook, sign up today with the promo code DEAN. That's my last name, D-E-A-N. And you can also receive a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, about how you can get on that. But sign up today. Use the promo code DEAN. Let them know who sent you. And uh, you can bet up to $1,000 risk-free. And it doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or if you already have an account. That Spread the Love promotion is exclusive to everyone on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So check it out today. 21 and over and present in Arizona. Must wager in designated crowdfunding market. Max wager is 50 bucks. Payout is minus 110. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. If you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. The, we talked about it yesterday, um, the best coaching jobs in America, what I think the best coaching jobs, head coaching jobs are in America. And then the Athletic one-upped me, and they went and actually talked to like 120 people in college football, whether it be coaches or uh, administrators, athletic directors, and things like that. And then they put their own little list together. If you're, uh, if you're subscribed to The Athletic, it's a fantastic article. They did a great job. Um, I won't give away their top five. It's very, very similar to mine. And, yes, USC is in that, in that particular poll one of the top five jobs in the country. So all of you who pushed back at me yesterday and was like, USC is not even a top ten job, let alone a top five, hey, hey. So be it. There we go. The Athletic, and they talked to people across the country, people in college football. And, yes, it was probably the most volatile as far as the, co- the, the voting goes amongst these people that they, that they polled, whether it be, like, how many first-place votes they got, how many fifth-place votes it got, how many non-fifth-place <laughs> votes it got. It was kind of all over the map. But um, the, the point system that they used awarded it the, uh, the fifth-best job in the country, and I agree. I think it is the fifth best job in the country right now. I think there's just a ton of opportunity. And some names came up yesterday, one being Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for Andy Reid at the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, that would be, in my opinion, I think it would be a home run hire for USC. Uh, Eric Bieniemy is a remarkable offensive mind. I think anyone who was coached under Andy Reid and who has, who has been trusted by Andy Reid should be considered for just about any coaching job there possibly is because I happen to think – very, very highly of Andy Reid. Um, I think he's one of the best coaches ever to, to roam the sidelines in the history of football. And I think anyone who was, who was been taught under him should be considered for head coaching jobs. I think those are people that are built to succeed uh, right off the bat. Now, how long would it be before Eric Bien? Because he's been up for, you know, for big jobs in the NFL. Hasn't gotten those second interviews yet, though. And he's probably you know, sick and tired of being the, uh, you know, the token first interview, if you will, and not getting second interviews for NFL jobs. But he will start getting a lot more um, for, uh, you know, for his work and his experience and things like that. So if USC were to hire a guy like Eric Bieniemy, um, it would be the enticement to jump back into the NFL would always be there because he would always be offered big jobs in the NFL. Also, um, if, you know, for USC, Kansas City's really good, right? Like they, they, they're going to be in the playoffs. Most people have them going to the Super Bowl. If they do, in fact, end up going to the Super Bowl, they won't be able to bring in Eric Bieniemy until Valentine's Day, which puts them way behind the eight ball in recruiting and things like that. So 
those are some things to think about. We'll continue to talk about the USC job as candidates come out. But I, I believe this is going to be a full season-long search. Like, they won't have a head coach named until probably December is my guess. So probably about three months in the search here um, for, uh, for their next head coach. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll be joined by Arizona sports reporter and Cardinals insider for us here at the Jeff Dean Show, Tyler Drake, who's going to join us next right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back, 7.30 on this Wednesday morning of the Jeff Dean Show, and we're talking Arizona Cardinal football coming off a big win at the Tennessee Titans to open their season. NFC West goes 4-0, three wins on the road for the NFC West. And here to talk with us is our Cardinals insider here on the Jeff Dean Show. He is Arizona sports reporter Tyler Drake joining us right now on the Jeff Dean Show. Tyler, what's up, my man? Good morning. Hey, good morning. What is going on? Oh, you know, just uh, talking a little Cardinal football here and still kind of, I mean, scratching my head a little bit about what I saw because, I mean, certainly it looked nothing like what we saw in the preseason and going up against a team who I thought was – was going to be certainly up to the task, especially playing at home, you know, after they lose their, their offensive coordinator and such. But it was very clear to me, Tyler, after about mm, the first six minutes of that game, that this was not going to be a contest, and it was in the Cardinals' favor. What was your thoughts going through your mind when you were starting to watch the game on Saturday, on Sunday? Well, yeah, you know, uh, coming on last week, I said I wouldn't be surprised if it came down to a, a field goal. And, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that they won by that much. I mean, that was dominant. They did exactly what they needed to do. They, they came out and went right at Derrick Henry, got him stymied, and then all they had to do was kind of sit back and just make sure that Julio and A.J. didn't beat him through the air. And I mean, it was exactly the game plan that Robert Alfred was talking about. That I mean, he was raving about Vance Joseph's uh, game plan entering the week. So, I mean, they, they put everything together. It was, it was a, it, it was a surprising, uh, surprising win just because of the amount of points that they put up against the team that – I mean, we all think are probably going to be a, a competitive playoff team this year in the Titans. But, again, that defense was rough. Let's talk about Vance Joseph for a minute. I, I, you know, I'm glad you brought him up because you know, he's, he's, had, he's had an interesting career, obviously, the, 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 you know, the, the, the failed head coaching job that he had. But, nonetheless, I mean, as a, as, as a D-backs coach and then moving up as a defensive coordinator, he was with Miami for a season – just kind of like the growth that he's shown in his time, like he's really elevated his game and he's become, I think one of the better scheme DCs in the league right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's, it, it seems like that's more and more of a question that we're asking Cliff or we're asking uh, players is just, you know, how much of a head or how much does Vance Joseph bring to that, you know, to that coaching staff and, and he has a head coaching, uh, head coaching resume. So a, a lot of questions have been asking, like, you know, is Vance going to be able to go take a head coaching job after this? And, and I mean, all the signs are saying, like, he deserves one. It's just, you know, do they, does he want to go take one if they have a successful season this season? So let's talk about the offense. Uh, Kyler Murray, and we're going to kind of grade some of them out here, if you don't mind. Well, I, I, I love to use my – I mean, I, I pay a lot for my PFF subscription, so I like to use it. <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, you're like, ah, <laughs> you don't want to you don't pay for it and then not use the damn thing. So I like to use it. Kyler Murray uh, ended up being the sixth-rated quarterback 
in the NFL this week. He, he rated six out of the 32 starting quarterbacks, and his numbers in the running and the passing game were basically dead on, a, a dead even as far as that goes. What did you think of, of Kyler Murray's performance in that game? You know, I thought it was I, it was everything that he had talked about, what Cliff had talked about, what his receivers had talked about. I mean, he went out there and really showed that he's taking the next step, and and he really put all those preseason doubters to rest. I know that was a big topic, and and he had what nine snaps, but you know, other than those early penalties the offense had, I mean, for as a unit, they were they were gelling early, and and you know, he it just shows that his you know level of uh, just improvement and and overall, I think his leadership was was on was on display too. You know, he seemed just a lot more like a lot more engaged. I want to say, like yeah, he just yeah. seemed more engaged with every aspect of that football game. The play that that had me baffled as I was watching it live, and I still I'm still marvelled at this play and why it's not getting more run in the highlight reels and stuff, just because I think it was just an incredible read and an even better throw. And I don't remember if it was the third or the fourth touchdown that he that he threw in the game. But he basically gets up to the line of scrimmage. He goes to the quick cadence because he knew immediately what he had. He had Christian Kirk one-on-one in the slot with a linebacker, and that was never going to work out well for Tennessee. So he calls it real quick, takes two steps back, and in the middle of his back pedal just throws the ball, like throws a rainbow up into the air into the corner of the end zone. And I'm like, oh, he's getting rid of the ball. When I'm watching it live, he's obviously – He's not happy with the read that he got. He's just throwing the ball out of bounds. And then all of a sudden, Christian Kirk is running full speed, and the ball just drops right into the bread basket like it had been drawn up that way. Uh, that play to me was I, – I still am marveled by how that came about. Well, it's exactly how you said it. They, that, that was drawn up. Cliff told us after the game that that is exactly the play that they ran in practice, and, and it was exactly how they thought it would go. Uh, yeah, just insane. I mean, <laughs> I was the same way. I was like, ah, oh, you might be tossing this one away. But then all of a sudden it's like Willie Mays out in the outfield yeah. catching, a, catching the baseball with, uh, with Christian. Just a great, great throw, great catch. I mean, it, but, I mean, you could say that with all of his touch, uh, Kyler Murray's touchdowns yesterday, really. I mean, all of those were just money. Yeah. Speaking of Christian Kirk, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, where Kyler Murray was rated, uh, you know, pro football focus th- this week. Arizona's wide receivers rated – third, 10th, and 12th in week one of the NFL. That doesn't include A.J. Green. And Christian Kirk was the third-rated wide receiver in the, NFL, in the NFL this week in regards to, you know, pro football focuses, ratings. Christian Kirk running in the slot, you know, this is, this is a situation where, you know, people are so focused on who's playing outside the numbers that you create that mismatch inside the numbers in that slot receiver. And this could end up potentially being a really big year for Christian Kirk. Oh yeah, and then you've got to throw in Rondell too, man. I think I think they've got all these guys that Cliff finally finally has the uh, the offensive firepower that he's been looking for for this offense to you know really take that next step. And yeah, Kirk contract year, yeah, he said he's playing with a different edge now, and and uh, I mean he showed it there. He, he had a great game. I, you know I expected DeAndre Hopkins to do do what he did to be honest, but for Christian to step up like that, that that just is such a positive for that team is just as a unit moving forward there's nothing like the motivation of playing in a contract year am i right tyler i mean that we see it a lot <laughs> exactly. in, in, in all in all leagues you know it doesn't it doesn't matter players are very motivated in those contract years um based on 
what we saw from the Cardinals in the dominant win, and this is probably an overreaction um, to everything, and this is what happens in week one every year of the NFL when you react to, to one game uh, that a team has played. Is there any talk of maybe Larry Fitzgerald being closer to returning to the Cardinals now that he's seen that this team is truly a contender with a good defense and with a uh, potent offense? You know, I I haven't heard anything on my end, so I would I would probably I would have to say no on my part. But uh, you know, it's as much as Larry has been just that guy. I think it it's almost a positive that he's not there right now, just to give that team a full look of what that offense can be with those guys that are going to be there for the next few years. I mean, Christian Kirk's contract year, so you, you never know with that. But Ronda Moore, D Hop, maybe if they get Green back. I mean, you've got to really kind of kind of got to build the offense of what you're going to have the next couple of years and i think uh his absence right now is 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 doing more good than bad i, I like hate to say that because larry's larry and I, he's going to help a team no matter what but i think for right now it's 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 a pretty good thing they got going on right now we're joined by tyler drake arizona sports reporter and our cardinals insider here on the jeff dean show uh, you can follow him at T Drake for sports. If you're looking for inside Cardinals information as he's headed out to uh, the Cardinal camp right now for an early practice on a Wednesday morning, Tyler, let's talk about the defense because really, you know, the offense was surprising. The defense was stunning. Uh, and it, they stood out at several positions. Buda Baker played a phenomenal game. He was rated the number three safety in the league by PFF. Um, obviously Chandler Jones, the, the game that he played, he was the number one rated player at his position, the number three rated player overall in the NFL behind uh, Cameron Hayward and Tom Brady. Um, and then we talked about the corners. We talked about the corners three weeks ago. We talked about them last week. We weren't exactly sure how they were going to be able to cover these guys. And lo and behold, Byron Murphy and Robert Alfred, uh, Ralford, uh, Robert Alfred rank ninth and 10th respectively in pro football focus out of the top 100 corners in the league. So, Talk about how this defense played and how they came, came together and gelled for this game. Well, I mean, they, they, like, yeah, they just came together. It starts with the defensive line. That defensive line just was just locked in from the get-go. Uh, you know, Chandler Jones, I don't know how you can get 100 grade in PFF because I, I assume that was probably going to be the first 100 grade given out or something because that was just a heck of a performance. Uh, yeah, but even, uh, you know, J.J. Watt, did exactly what a lot of people thought he would be, just being that other guy that they've got to kind of worry about. Uh, Corey Peters looked great. The 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 young defensive line group of Zach Allen, Lecky Foto, Michael Dog, B. Richard Lawrence were solid. Uh, it it everything for, that they were saying in training camp about those guys is poured over into Week One, and then beyond that, that secondary was solid. I, and, it, and it all like I said, all starts with defensive line, but. Marco Wilson came in, and, and he didn't really grade out as well as, as maybe some people would have liked, but he still had a good game, still made some tackles, still looked yeah. like he'd been there. Robert Alford played with a lot of confidence, said he was going to come and play with a lot of confidence, and it showed. Byron Murphy, I mean, he should have had two picks that game, it looked yeah. like. Just yeah. easy, easy grab. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for that secondary. It's almost like Malcolm Poo at this point, which I don't think any of us expected to say. You know, it's interesting, you know, we, we talked about this last week about how many snaps J.J. Watt was going to get. Chandler Jones led the defensive line in snaps played on Sunday. He, he saw 48 snaps. Guess who was second on the defensive line in total snaps in that game? Uh, it wasn't a, it was Marco, right? No, J.J. Watt. 
oh, on the de- on the defensive line. Sorry, the yeah, defensive oh, line. line. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Got you. Got you. JJ Watt, forty six snaps in that game, the second most of any of the defensive linemen uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. You and I talked about it last week. It's hard to keep him off the field because he's such a hard working dude, and he's just he's got that that will to compete always. And even though they wanted to keep his snaps at a minimum. Uh, there he is, 46 snaps. And, and as you mentioned, he had a huge influence in the game, especially in the running game. I thought he held up really well against the run. Yeah, oh, yeah. I thought that they were they were just a bunch of it – was, it was crazy. I mean, I thought that this team was going was gonna to make a little bit of noise, but I didn't expect it to be this much noise in week one. And obviously, like you said, you got to take it with grain of salt. It's week one, but that's exactly what you wanted to see out of a team looking to make a name for itself right away. Tyler, I think maybe one of the more surprising things, maybe the most surprising thing that I saw on Sunday was at linebacker, Jordan Hicks, 61 snaps, Zayvon Collins, 22 snaps. This is after Steve Keim essentially named him the start of the day after they drafted him, and there was an offseason of Jordan Hicks wanted to be traded because he's been an eight-year starter in the NFL and felt like he wanted to go out and continue to start, and lo and behold, Jordan Hicks started and played the the lion's share of the snaps in that position over Zayvon Collins. What what happened there? You know, I think that was part of their game plan. They uh, Vance Joseph said time and time again that Jordan Hicks was going to be a huge part of this uh, defense. And I mean, that's <laughs> you got a you got a first taste right there of what I think they're going to try to be doing the, at least for next week too. Just because they've got a similar kind of competition with Dalvin Cook, and I think yeah. having having Jordan in there and kind of having that veteran presence and Zayvon's still going to get his, uh, get his reps and everything. But I think right now, I think that's the plan. And maybe as they, it almost seems like maybe as they keep going along with the season, he might start getting more and more snaps, maybe more and more uh, just from seeing more offenses and stuff like that. But I think for right now, it kind of looks like Jordan Hicks is going to be the, be the main guy there in that position, at least for next week. Uh, Because like I said, Dalvin Cook's the, similar not like obviously they're different from Derrick Henry but they're similar style similar you know team so um, I could easily see Jordan Hicks having a similar workload next week real quick before we uh, move on to the injury portion of the of this week's segment uh, special teams not a whole lot to glean from there you know Matt Prater obviously with with one field goal and was perfect on PATs Andy Lee uh, came in had a couple of punts you know didn't really you know didn't really matter much um do you see Matt Prater becoming, I don't want to say an issue. Do you, I mean, obviously, we, we, you and I talked about it. He's a, he's a huge upgrade over Zane Gonzalez from last year. But it, it appears that, that kicking-wise, I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're, I think they're good. So any injuries? I think, I think they're fine. And Oh, sorry. Keep going. No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, no, I, think, I don't think there's any, uh, any worry there for Prater. Um, obviously, it was kind of a shock that he missed it. We've seen him be – pretty much perfect through practice and training camp but i don't i don't think it's any big issues there nothing like a zane gonzalez situation yeah any injuries to uh, of note that we need to uh, to discuss anything happen you know kind of between sunday and today that uh, that is is of note for uh, for uh, the for the cardinals this week uh the one the one thing to watch is just kelvin beecham he had a rib injury and went out and uh, ended up leaving the game last uh, or on sunday and so he's day-to-day We'll probably have a little bit better of an idea today since we'll get I, – I believe we'll talk to Cliff today after practice. So, mm-hmm. should know more there. But I think that's they, – they did pretty well with injuries. Uh, that's basically the only one that was kind of the big one to stand out. 
Kelvin Beecham being the right tackle on the offensive line there opposite of D.J. Humphreys. D.J. Humphreys had a great game, by the way, too. I thought he played extremely well. Oh, yeah, yeah, solid game. I mean, you, if you're going up against Chandler Jones every practice, you, you're probably going to be pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, I loved, I loved Cliff's uh, quote after the game. He's like, yeah, in practice we had to put him on the sidelines because we couldn't practice passing when he was on the field. I thought that's, I mean, that's indicative of, uh, of just how disruptive Chandler Jones can be when he's focused and healthy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's determined. You can tell he's determined. Even, I mean, he got snubbed out of the NFL top 100, which is, even with that injury last year, it's kind of ridiculous. And, yeah, you know, contract, you're trying to get an extension, stuff like that. So, I mean, he's determined. I don't, you know, that stuff's going to play into him wanting to play harder. But, you know, he just comes out there with the high motor to begin with. So, it's it's like the perfect storm for for offenses right now with him. Well, the Cardinals get their first home game coming up this Sunday, taking on the Minnesota Vikings. Tyler, you'll be there. Enjoy the game, my man, and we'll talk to you again next week, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Have a good day, guys. You too. That is Tyler Drake, Arizona sports reporter and our Cardinals insider. We're going to have him here on a weekly basis talking Arizona Cardinals football, basically looking at the observations and reactions from the previous week. And uh, in, a, in, a, in a big week, a big week situation, we'll look ahead to the, uh, to the Sunday coming up. And if you want to follow Tyler, you can follow him on Twitter at TDrake4Sports, the number four sports as our, uh, as our Cardinals insider. And uh, glad to have him here as uh, he does a great job. And uh, I've known Tyler for quite some time. He's a good guy and uh, really is, uh, is focused on his job and, and does a wonderful job. And even though he's got a newborn at home, <laughs> continues to to do great things and he's you know he was up early this morning and uh, headed down to cardinal camp and uh we'll have all the information from him moving forward for the arizona cardinals this season join spears and ali this friday from 3 to 6 p.m for bear down friday at main gate square the community rallies together to join on our u of a football team and it's uh, it's going on this friday as we get ready for the pep rally leading up into the nau game the pep rally begins at six o'clock it was a really cool experience uh, last week, and I'll be there again this week. So um, if you come down to the uh, to the ESPN Tucson booth at Main Gate Square, come and say hi. I'll be hanging out there with Spears and Ali. Um, from 4 to 7, there's happy hour specials at the restaurants. There's the Junior Kids Activity Zone for the kiddos. And the pep rally again begins at 6 o'clock with the Pride of Arizona Marching Band, the U of A Cheerleaders, the Palm Squad, the Twirlers, and Wilbur and Wilma, of course. Our lovable mascots will be there as well. Plus chances to win game tickets from some of the other, uh, some of the other uh, ESPN stable of radio, sta- radio stations uh, here in, uh, in Tucson. And, of course, you can get more information at ESPNTucson.com. More after this, you're listening to The Jeff Dean Show right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. ESPN Tucson invites you to the Sierra Auction this weekend. It's a live, in-person public auction preview that's happening this Friday, September 17th. It's from 10 AM to 4 PM. You can go down there and preview all the vehicles that they have. It's located at 3911 North Highway Drive right here in Tucson. The uh, registration is free online. It's available at SierraAuction.com. You do not need a dealer license to attend. It is open to the public. And then you can start bidding Saturday morning at 8 a.m. to get the deals you deserve only at SierraAuction.com. So we'll continue to talk Cardinals uh, tomorrow and Friday as well as we preview them for the the Minnesota Vikings game. like I said yesterday, I think the NFC North might be that division. There's one every year where we look at it and we're like, man, we thought that division was going to be better this year. 
I think they might, the NFC North might be that division uh, this year. When we look at it and go, eh, not so good. And then I think adversely, the AFC North might be the division that, that comes out and you're like, wow, like that was unexpected that the teams, that all four teams are going to be really that good. You know, I thought maybe we knew, everybody knew the NFC West is the best division in football. Everybody knew it was going to be the best division in football. Uh, you, you know, I fully expect the NFC West to win their games this weekend as well. Um, but when you're looking ahead at like, you know, what was the, the division that may or may not kind of surprise some people in a good way? And I think I think the, the AFC North might be that contender this year. Cincinnati looks really good. I've always been a big fan of Joe Burrow. If you've listened to the show before and after the, uh, the, the, the 15-month COVID break that we had to take, um, you know that I'm a big fan of Joe Burrow, and I think the world of him as a quarterback, and I think that, that the, the NFL is his oyster once – you know, once Tom Brady retires, it's going to be, uh, you know, once Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers retire, I think it's going to be Joe Burrow and, and Patrick Mahomes. It's They are going to be number one, two, I think, in, you know, in the NFL as far as, you know, who's leading the NFL in passing and all these kinds of things and uh, success and for their teams and whatnot. I just, I've just always been a big fan of Joe Burrow ever since I watched him at LSU. Uh, just felt like that guy was, was ready. He reminds me more of Joe Montana than any player I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> saying a lot. Speaking of uh, rookie quarterbacks and, and sophomore quarterbacks, how did the rookie quarterbacks do this this first week? Well, you look at them. There was three starters: Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. All three of them lost their games. Okay, um, that's not that's not surprising. I think. Well, it's surprising that the Patriots lost at home to uh, to Miami. It was a hell of a game. Uh, but Mac Jones played extremely well. Look, Mac Jones. Had a had a uh, a Pro Football Focus rating of seventy six point six, which made him eleventh um, in the NFL for all quarterbacks this season and for week number one. Um, he was twenty nine of thirty nine, two hundred eighty one yards. His uh, QBR was two, was seventy five point one, which is number eight in the NFL. And I thought what was really important about him was in the situations that he was put in, he was able to succeed at different levels. So he was pressured. And on his pressures, he was a 60%, you know, essentially a 60% passer. With a clean pocket, he elevated that a little bit to like 67, 68%. Um, when you look at uh, some of the other, you know, type of, you know, pockets that he saw, whether it was clean or whether he was blitzed and things like that, he basically was across the board just good. He was in a, in a clean pocket, he had an 80% com- uh, completion percentage. When he was blitzed, he had an 80% completion percentage. When he was pressured, he had a 68% completion percentage. So, I mean, the guy was just solid. Um, he had a couple of big-time throws in that game. One of them where he, you know, led the receiver in between two defenders, was able to kind of throw a dime right in there. That was a beautiful throw. And then his his touchdown pass came on a, a blitz. Uh, it was an all-out blitz, a seven-player seven blitz. They left four back, and he stood in there, took the shot, delivered the ball, and was able to get the touchdown pass. So, look, I, I thought it was a really nice debut for Mac Jones. Didn't get the win, but there's going to be wins on the horizon, obviously, for Mac Jones, and sooner than later. Uh, and this is expected. Look, New England's a much better team than the Jets and the, the Jaguars, the teams who have started their other two rookie quarterbacks. We knew that that they were going to be better prepared to uh, to win football games with Mac Jones as their quarterback as opposed to the others. And speaking of the others, when you look at a guy like Zach Wilson, you know, I, I thought early on he was terrible. In fact, I almost tweeted out 
some uh, some stats that, that I thought were just absolutely horrible. In the first half, at halftime, he was 0 for 4 on third down. He was 0 for 4 against the Blitz. He was 0 for 7 in pressure plays. He was 0 for 4 on play action. He was 0 for 3 on deep passes. Like, you couldn't have a worse start to an NFL career than Zach Wilson did. His QBR at halftime was 5.9. <laughs> like, like. We talked about Aaron Rodgers having a bad game and how he could have elevated his QBR by throwing the ball into the turf every single pass. Like, Zach Wilson could have quadrupled his passer rating by doing that. But he rebounded in the second half. Did, didn't have great accuracy. He missed a ton of passes in the first half. Okay, uh, 20 of 37 overall, but did throw two touchdown passes and kind of started to get the Jets back into it a little bit, started having them believe a little bit against the Panthers, even though that game wasn't indicative of the score. Uh, the Panthers dominated that football game. Um, he did throw the one pick, but look, you can just tell by watching him play that he's he's going to win a lot of football games. He's going to challenge defenses. Defenses, like once Zach Wilson kind of gets it and once – the, the New York Jets start to get some more talent on that side of the ball. Look, they lost Makai Becton, I think, in the second series of that game. There's their gigantic road-grading left tackle. Uh, they lost him early in that game. He was also without Jamison Crowder, who was arguably their most talented player on offense. So once they get those pieces back and they start to gel a little bit, I would not want to be a defensive coordinator trying to, trying to coordinate a game and scheme against Zach Wilson because he just has so much moxie and loves to challenge the ball down the field. And Trevor Lawrence, look, Trevor Lawrence wasn't terrible. He wasn't good. I thought that you saw some things out of Trevor Lawrence that made you realize, yeah, he, he's, he's been the number one pick, number one NFL pick for three years at Clemson. He just went to a really bad situation in Jacksonville, whose offense is terrible. And I thought their offensive scheme was terrible. They, they, they hardly ran the ball on Sunday. We'll talk more about the rookie quarterbacks coming up. We also have some other stuff to talk about. We'll talk about some uh, Wildcats in the NBA getting paid. We'll talk about some Major League Baseball, too. Stick, stay tuned. Just a quick two-minute turnaround right here to the 8 o'clock hour. It's the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson. KMXC HD for Tucson. 